On this episode of Kick Some Glass, what we've been taught about career gaps is apparently all wrong. Uh, Chatty Chads, new research indicates that men are the more talkative sex, not women, like we believed all along. And this is especially true at work. And we also have interview insights from our in-house recruiter, Melissa. Hey, Melissa. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween to you, too. I hope you got more trick-or-treaters than me. <laughs> um, I was at my sister's house. We got seven. <laughs> A solid three from me. Well, there we go. <laughs> we yeah. make a ten total. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we are, yeah, so we are recording on... Halloween night. I am actually, this is embarrassing. I am still in my Dorothy costume. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't dress up this year, but I did haul on a costume when I got home in case some kids did show up. I was a twister mat. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's awesome. I want to see a picture. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take any, but maybe I'll go put it on again after when we're finished recording. <laughs> oh, good. Yes, I want to see some. <laughs> I was, yes, I'm still sitting in my Dorothy costume because my dog, my little Yorkie, kind of looks like Toto. So I figured, you know, let's just roll with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's accessorize here. Exactly, with the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. So what is what is going on with you? Well, I'm always busy at work as usual and always busy with politics because that's just who I am. Um, but I was actually at a um, an event over the weekend and I was uh, talking to somebody from VOCM. So that's a local radio uh, station here in St. John's. And I'm actually going to be doing a women in politics segment next Sunday with him. And I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I love it. That is awesome. So do yeah, you know, I know. Do you know what you're going to be talking about? Uh, we haven't really decided yet. Uh, more so just on the importance and the value that women bring to politics. It's going to be sort of a roundtable discussion, but it's going to be nice to see. It's going to be nice to see all the different perspectives because, well, I'm obviously um, I'll be the PC guest on that show. But there's also right. going to be a liberal guest and an NDP guest. So I'm really, really looking forward to it and seeing uh, what everybody has to bring to the table. Yeah, so interesting. I um is there gonna be a way for us to like hear it? Do you know? Oh yeah, no, they they live stream all the time. And um that show is actually actually recorded. It's a Sunday afternoon drive home. And uh yeah, they typically record that show and they'll put it up online the next day. But if you want to listen, it's four thirty uh next Sunday. <laughs> awesome. Four thirty yep. Newfoundland time. Four thirty Newfoundland time. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that is Four o'clock Atlantic and three, yes, three o'clock Eastern. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I will definitely be listening. That That's so exciting. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. So, cool. so what's new with you since I saw you last? I only saw you last week or something, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it was two weeks ago. I'm losing track. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, it has. It's been almost two weeks. Wow, I was in Newfoundland. <laughs> I miss it. So you're having fun. I know. I miss it already. <laughs> I was. I and this is not a lie. While I was still in Newfoundland, I was looking up flights <laughs> for, like, <laughs> to come back. <laughs> I was like, 
Um, when can I come back? Um, but yes, I loved, I loved it so much. The race, the Cape to Cabot race that I did went extremely well. I, I ran better than I expected to. Um, and I probably would have ran even faster if someone would have told me that at the finish line, they had Newfoundland dogs and fresh Towtons. <laughs> but like, that was like my favorite thing. I'm <laughs> like, this is the best finish line like reception I've ever seen for a race being Towton's out of a food truck and Newfoundland dogs like you can't you cannot go wrong there no it's just a pile of love it was amazing it was really (laughs) really great um yes and then since I got back I started on a new contract with another resume writing and career coaching company careers by design um they are really amazing they're they are they are going to be like a heavy hitter in Canada I think the way that they are approaching their business and the way that they're getting clients and the type of service that they really want to provide people um I'm just I've been I've only been with them a couple weeks now but I am so impressed with them um so that is that is really good I like partnering with companies that make me feel good and like I feel very proud to be to be one of their new team members um and we will be talking or I will be conducting an interview I just sort of nailed this down a couple days ago for the podcast this career coach in Canada who will be hosting what she's calling a career clarity circle in the new year um so this is something like somebody we will talk to in an upcoming episode, but um, what she's doing is really awesome too, because we don't often talk a whole lot about like career coaching and people who are really super confused about what they want to do with their life or if they're making a drastic career change, um, how they should go about that. And this, this is what this woman does. And she's running and launching this whole like group group coaching session which doesn't happen a lot in our industry either Um, it doesn't yeah which I think is really interesting so it's um and then she wants to bring me on like at the very end when people have sort of figured out what they want to do when they grow up (laughs) um to like help with you know how to market that message in a resume because that can be super challenging if you're making a drastic career change like how do you then transfer all the skills you've gained from your previous career into your new career um so she's bringing me on to help with some of that from like help with some of that part of it um the very tail end of it but the bulk of it I think it's going to be really interesting so I can't wait to to talk to her so I'm hoping we'll have more from her in the new year probably just before she launches this group coaching um program but super exciting yeah, I'm definitely excited to have another perspective here on the podcast. Yes, it's always good, right? Yeah. <laughs> Lying on our two brains. <laughs> Not that we aren't geniuses, but you know. No, yeah. <laughs> it's good to get external confirmation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's it. And of course, like busy with work, just like you. We could barely schedule a freaking... A dinner podcast and a, and a dinner date yeah oh my gosh <laughs> I know I was in town 10 days and we got like one hour that we could like think up. <laughs> oh my all right so I guess we should move on to the show let's get to the content people the content people can use <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a plan to me 
All right. Today's guest interview is with Krista Morris. Krista is the owner of Virtuoso Resumes and Recruiting. She is a professional resume writer and job search expert, and she teaches job search and interviewing skills. She also writes resumes, cover letters, CVs, and LinkedIn profiles, and she has helped hundreds of job seekers reach their professional goals. I sat down with Krista earlier to talk about addressing so-called career gaps on your resume. So this is, you know, for women who have stepped away from their career to raise babies for a while, or perhaps um, anyone who has taken a break from their career to care for an aging parent, or even, you know, when you're wilder and crazier and younger and you take a whole year off after college um, to travel the globe you end up with these career gaps. And what we're traditionally taught to do with these gaps is hide them um, or try and camouflage them. But she has a completely different perspective that proves that that age-old theory completely wrong. So here is our interview with Krista Morris on the better way to tackle career gaps. Krista, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So you have some really great insight on how to deal with career gaps uh, that I think is really important to share with people. So um, I guess maybe we should start with um, what do you notice most about what women tend to do, I guess, with career gaps? Because women tend to be affected by this a little bit more than men because we take time off to raise families. Um, so what's what's something that you notice that women tend to do that we probably shouldn't do when we have these gaps? I think the biggest thing I see is, is that women try to hide their gaps, that on paper, at least, they try to brush it under the rug or pretend that it wasn't a period in their lives, an important period, because motherhood is one of the most important things that we do as women. And it's, for me, it's not something that should ever be brushed away, brushed aside, swept swept out in the trash. It, it's so vitally important to what we do as, and how we live as people that... Um, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit every time I get a call from a potential client as a resume writer and they say, help me hide my gap as a stay-at-home parent. It's just awful. Um, and, and I came to this realization the honest way. I, um, when I had my second son, I ended up on bed rest for what seemed like an eternity. Oh. An eternity. For, it was months. Um, in a high-risk pregnancy. And um, when I finally had my baby and he was premature and not, you know, his immune system, he couldn't go to get daycare. He was kind of a mess, as most preemies are. Um, I found myself with my own gap. That's what kind of started my thinking about not wanting to hide any of this. And, you know, that gap lasted a few years as I got him medically stable um, and that gap is on my resume because it is a really important part of my life. Um, and it's nothing that we should ever, ever hide. That's so probably this, the thing that I see the most. 
Yeah, I was, and it's going to say, so what you're saying about not hiding this gap is going to be really shocking for a lot of people because if you conduct any sort of like Google search even, or if you read some of the major like resume writing blogs or career sites, you know, and you search for, you know, what do I do with the gap? What do I do with my time that at the time I took off to raise kids and everything screams, hide it, hide it, hide it. Use functional resumes that confuse the timeline and do whatever you need to do to de-emphasize the fact that you stepped away uh, from from a career. Uh, But you're saying the exact opposite is what we probably should be doing instead. Um, And I think, uh, because we have spoken before, um, you say it's more effective to just come right out and be like, here's my gap, here it is. And and it's actually better to do it that way. Well, what I see is, and I really hate the the Mm -hmm. conventional wisdom that says that you have to hide it. if you look up this topic, how to handle a gap on a resume, mm-hmm. every single piece of advice, you're completely right, will say that you should hide it. Here's a functional format. Um, I'm in the camp where if you're going to do something, you should go big or go home. Um, and if there's something you can do that distinguishes yourself as a candidate, then you should probably do that. And to approach a job search, half-heartedly is to probably not be successful. So I I think there's two things that go into that. The first is that people with courage that comes across on on the paper 100% of the time, and most employers are not looking for weak-minded sheep. They're looking for superstars with courage. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that if you're completely 100% upfront and transparent with what you've done and why your gap is there and what happened during that gap, um, then you're controlling the narrative. You're not letting the hiring manager or the HR manager wonder what happened during that gap. You're, you're closing it. You're giving it context and uh, a valid reason for being there. You weren't just, you know, eating bonbons. Right. I I really like I really like this a lot because I find, you know, as as a resume writer as well, I often tell people, write your your resume. You we need to develop this so that you stand out, so that you distinguish yourself. And it also needs to answer questions. It shouldn't raise questions. You don't want someone reading your resume to have, you know, all kinds of questions about, about your experience or be unclear in any way. Uh, And then at the same time, you know, we will sometimes tell people with gaps, oh, we need to sort of hide this and, or, you know, do what, which is exactly the opposite advice that we would give any other candidate. So I really like this. And you're right. If you are completely honest on your resume you're not raising those questions. And you, if you're completely honest, you are distinguishing yourself from other candidates. Um, like you said, because you're showing a lot of courage in being completely honest with what with what you've done. Um, so how do you 
how do you recommend people approach this from a writing perspective? Like, so how would you describe or like what information, I guess, should we include for this, for these gaps? I feel bad even that we call it a gap. <laughs> it's, it's not like it's time off. <laughs> it's really not a gap. No. Um, yeah, it's, it's really not. I, I 100% is totally not a gap. Um, and, and I probably am still recovering from the PTSD from my little gap, um, you know, 10 years later. Um, there's two places on your resume that, that I think this can happen. In the summary at the top, um, sometimes what I do is I add on an objective at the end, like the very last sentence of the summary. Um, so we're using the summary to introduce the client or the candidate, mm-hmm. you know, talk about core reasons why this person is the best possible superstar for the job. At the end of that, sometimes I'll say, if this is a sales, you know, somebody doing sales, let's say, um, seeking a sales manager role after taking time off as a stay-at-home parent. So when we look at the studies of how eyes track across the resumes, mm-hmm. um, the, part, the parts that people see first are the top and the bottom, and then they circle back to the middle. So the top part will serve to close that gap, number one, so that there's no questions. Clearly, this person took time off to be a stay-at-home parent. The second place, then, what I do is I put it in the professional history section as a job, but never, never with a ridiculous job title. Uh, I, so many people, they, they, they call themselves domestic engineers mm-hmm. or um, I kind of hate that. It, it's the worst thing. It, it, it makes what you've done as a stay-at-home parent come stay home mom, just silly and uh, silly and a lot less serious than the job actually is because it is a job. Right. Um, it kind of, it's diminishing. It really is. And, and there, there's nothing about being a stay at home mom that should be diminished. It's a really important role in our society. And I don't know that I necessarily would have taken that path. To be a stay-at-home parent when I began my career, I mean, I, I never saw myself that way, but I was uh, forced into it by the health conditions, you know, of my son, and I wouldn't trade it for the world now, uh, even though I've got a three-year gap on my resume. Um, the second thing that I do, in addition to putting it up at the summary and then below in the professional history section, is sometimes I use a little bit of humor. It's so disarming to see levity on a resume that mm-hmm. it's, it's really distinctive. And it makes the candidate seem a lot more like a real person and less like letters on a page. It's humanizing. And the more we as professional resume writers or candidates, the more you can make the person seem like an actual human and give the hiring manager or HR manager something to grip onto that's engaging, it it works wonders. Yeah, I can see that. I, it, it, um, 
I think that it's a great tactic for establishing trust, right? That no like trust factor. If you, if you're being completely honest and then you've got humor in there, you, they're going to feel like they can connect with you and relate to you before they've even met you. That's great. It works every time. I've had clients that have been hired at job fairs on the spot simply because I wrote in a little bit of humor into that particular part um, of the resume. And, and these are folks rejoining the workforce. I think that as uh, stay-at-home moms, I think that we have a level of maturity and responsibility that most, not most, that's that's too broad, but that many candidates simply can't demonstrate on a piece of paper. If me as a hiring manager, if I had to choose between somebody right out of college, if for an entry-level position, if I had to choose between somebody right out of college or somebody re-entering the workforce as from being a stay-at-home mom, I would choose a stay-at-home mom every time. Mm-hmm. They, they're more mature, and I'm so sorry to the millennials that might be listening here, or <laughs> the folks that are not parents. I'm so sorry. Um, but I think that in building a workforce, there's room for the stay-at-home moms to add a little bit of maturity and decision-making and the ability to work independently and make decisions and have critical thinking, because that's what we do as parents all day long, um, along with the youthful energy of the brand new grads. I think both are critical to a company's success. Yes. And just the ability to I would think it's like stress management or being able to work under pressure. I would think that like stay at home moms would com- completely blow anybody else out of the water with that. Um, Absolutely. I just, there's just, yes. <laughs> I mean, you literally have someone's life in your hands when you're a stay at home parent, um, the, the, the stress and the pressure of that and the demands of, of being a parent are unlike many other things that anyone else would, would experience. I, I want, I completely agree. And I think that as hiring managers, uh, I like to think that that the hiring managers of the world recognize the fact that there's a lot of value in the stress management, it, it, uh, in the, the level of stress that a stay-at-home parent can um, absorb. Mm-hmm. Because we've, gosh, I've been through the trenches with this kid. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> What about, um, so this is all really great. I love, I love these strategies for the resume. What about any strategies for, about, for the candidates themselves in trying to get their mojo back, I guess, because I know with a lot of, you know, candidates or clients that I've worked with and they're reentering the workforce. And I often find it doesn't matter how long, how long they're, perceived gap, I guess, is. It could be a year or it could be 10, but they all seem to have a a bit of a confidence conflict with trying to, you know, they don't quite appreciate their own value. I think that goes back to effectively writing the resume 
Um, what I do is I spend a lot of time in the strategy of what I put on the page. Mm-hmm. So when when I sit there with clients, I spend a lot of time determining what I consider the quote unquote real content that goes on the page, meaning nothing, well, not nothing, but meaning emphasizing accomplishments rather than job duties. So I find that the process of getting the resume prepared properly does a lot for getting the mojo back. Mm -hmm. Most of the time when I'm done working with a client, they just then realize how much they actually accomplished in their careers before they, de- you know, dead, left the path to became to become a stay-at-home mom. Um, so it's the it's 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 the process of properly quantifying and analytically evaluating accomplishments. Because if we stick to the facts of what somebody's done in their career then their mojo will come back because they'll realize what they did. And and that also goes for being a stay-at-home parent. Uh, one of those, one of my clients, I got hired on the spot at a job fair. She was a new grad RN. And we all know as resume writers that many hospitals do not like new grads. They mm-hmm. really like the older seasoned, um, can handle absolutely anything you throw at me, RNs. And she had a, circumstance similar to mine where her her daughter was special needs. I put that on the resume, including all the specialists that she had to work with, <laughs> including the number of hours of therapies, you know, physical therapy, speech, occupational therapy, all of that I put under that particular section of her resume. And she was hired on the spot in one of the best children's hospitals in the country where they just don't hire new grads. They just don't. Um, wow. It goes back to really looking at what you've accomplished. And once you can really look at what you've done, it becomes important. And once it becomes important, the mojo comes back. Great point. Yes. Yeah. And I have to say that is, for me anyway, one of the most rewarding things about working with a client sometimes is, is taking, just writing their resume sending it back to them and then having them almost in disbelief about what they've done. Like they hadn't realized or they've never looked at their career history that way. And they can almost, they almost can't believe that that's their resume. <laughs> I always that's like, I, part. I, I know I love that so much. I'm like, this is why I do this. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. She didn't. She didn't recognize herself on paper, and and she had no idea that you could actually put all of those things onto a resume. I mean, especially when it relates to your job, having a special needs child, a medically complex child, and being an RN, they go together. And she can communicate to parents and families at, at the hospital she's at on a completely different level than an RN who doesn't have that experience as a mom taking care of a sick kid. Oh, so good. This is so good talking to you. Um, anything anything else we should know about positioning candidates um, who are returning to the workforce? I think we need another we need another term for gap. <laughs> <laughs> it should be another term for gap because it's really not a gap. It's really it's just, really an, just 
different experience. It's just, yes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I just emphasize using a little bit of humor because it works every time without fail. Um, I, I had a stay at home dad that I was writing a resume for recently and I, he was a new dad. So this was his first kid child. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote on his resume that, um, he had successfully kept a very tiny human alive and relatively clean for six whole months before being able to send him to daycare. <laughs> he got a job within the first 30 days. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. And that, that makes perfect sense to a hiring manager. And, you know, and, and, and since dads aren't typically the traditional stay-at-home parent, using that little bit of humor made him seem a lot more like a person and a lot more, it, it enabled the hiring manager to engage on a different level with his resume, I think. Yeah, that's why he's working today. Excellent job. (laughs) Thank you for being, (laughs) yes, thank you for being a career professional. You are obviously doing a great work and a great job. Um, Thank you. And I really hope that this, um, this strategy of being honest and upfront and not shying away from what people do during you know, extended periods away from traditional work, I guess, because this is not just people who have children, you know, if you have to take time off to care for elderly parents or any other sort of crisis in your personal life, it should, it shouldn't be viewed as a gap. It shouldn't be something that you need to, to hide. Absolutely. I, and I do have other clients who have gaps. Um, There's not a whole lot of funny things you can call out for taking care of an elderly parent, but you can at least tell the truth. Yeah. Even if you can't be funny about taking care of an elder, there's nothing funny there. Um, but you can at least tell the truth about whether or not, you know, you got married and took six months off to travel Europe or you had to settle your parents' estate after a death. Um, I think telling the truth goes a long way towards building trust with the potential employer before they've even met you. Yes, which is critical. Trust is everything in the hiring process, right? There, there's a huge leap of faith that goes on when somebody decides to hire you. There is, there is, and they're they're always nervous that they're going to make the right the wrong hiring choice, and it's very nerve wracking to be a hiring manager. Um, we also do recruiting. Uh, I run my business with my husband, so I do the resumes and he does the recruiting, and it's a really big leap of faith on the part of the employer to extend an offer. You're you're talking about a new person that you really haven't had a chance to see in action representing your company. It's a huge decision. So the more trust you can build into the whole hiring process, the better. Yeah. Perfect. I think that I think that's our ending note of this interview. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And we are going to put all of the links um, in the show notes so people know how to connect with you. Um, And yes, so thank you so much again. And uh, we'll be in touch. I'm sure. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
Krista so much. She is totally shaking it up in the resume writing world and challenging the status quo. So if you want to learn more about Krista and, and possibly work with her, um, all of her contact information is in the links in the show notes. So go to the show notes and check out her links and learn more about Krista. All right, our women in the news segment, Chatty Chads, instead of Chatty Cathy's. Um, <laughs> we all know a Chatty Chad. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Well, I found really interesting with this article. So this article talks about how women's voices are fairly present on conference calls. And they were particularly um, looking at conference calls in the financial industry. Um, but I think this probably is a fairly fair assessment for most conference calls in most companies, especially in fields where there is often more men in the room than women, which is frankly, most fields. Um, well, what I thought was really interesting. So when I read this, that was showing that men talk a whole lot more than women in the room on these calls. Um, was that at first I was a little surprised. <laughs> and then I actually thought about my actual experience of being in meetings where there are many men and few women. And I was, and then I was like, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> All of those times when you get talked over or interrupted or, you know, it's, it happens all the time. So it really shouldn't have been as surprising as it is. Um, but the stats the stats in this article and you can I'm going to post the link to the article in the show notes so you can go read the whole thing yourself but the stats were shocking the men spoke 92 percent of the time of all total talk time if there was men and women in the room men dominated the conversation by 92 percent that was shocking to me that is a whole lot of chatter <laughs> without hearing from the women in the room <laughs> I wish I could say I'm surprised, but I'm not because I experience this all of the time in both my political life and my professional life. I've like numerous times I have been the subject matter expert in the room and I have not been able to get a word in because there's been a chatty chat overtaking me and it is one of my pet peeves. Oh my goodness. Yes, of course. I, I didn't think of that, but politics, I would think, especially. Oh, especially, I mean, especially where I consider myself a progressive conservative per se, it's typically an old white man dominated mm -hmm. party. And it's unfortunate to say, but I mean, I just want to see the tides turn. <laughs> yes. Well, there, you know, there, it is progressive. Conservative. It is. Yeah, exactly. They're forgetting the progressive part of the party. <laughs> Sometimes I think that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And the um, what I also found really interesting about about this article was that, you know, they're not even saying that, you know, men talking more overshadowing women's voices in itself, obviously, is a problem. It's, it's not right. It's not fair. And it is it's it's a problem with representation. But what they were also saying is that there is a business cost to this. When men are allowed to overshadow the women's voices, it's actually bad for business. Um, they were saying in in some research that they were doing with 
female financial analysts is that they often will issue bolder and more accurate forecasts and that stock market participants are aware of the skill differences between men and women. So women actually excel in this area at delivering more accurate forecasts, yet they are not allowed to speak as much, which seems like a very bad business move. Um, (laughs) When you have someone who is probably more likely to help your business or give your business an advantage, they are like, that's worth money. And you're not letting her speak or encouraging her to speak or just making room for her to speak. Um, that, that seems like a, a pretty poor decision. Yeah. It's definitely a bad move. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was so, it was really, it was really interesting. And, and of course, like I said, this one, this article, probably mostly because it was published in Bloomberg, um, to focuses more on the financial <laughs> industry, um, where, of course, women are typically outnumbered anyway. But they were saying that in other studies and other research that's been done, not to this extensive um, extent, but other research shows that this pretty much goes for most group settings. They were saying, you know, like school board meetings. Um, in Supreme Courts, of course, women would be outnumbered there. But they're saying that women, it's not even that they get the equal percentage of talk time. So if they're, if 20% of a group is women, that women don't get 20% of the talk time, they get like 10%. So even if they could just, even if women were just as talkative as men, um, things would probably be a lot better for the organizations where women speak up more. Um, yeah, I don't, I obviously, <laughs> obviously <laughs> I agree with all of this. Um, and I know what it's like to be sort of silenced or unable to get a word in. And, ob- and obviously that's, you know, men probably should shut up more than they do. Um <laughs> But I mean, to some extent, it it is on us a little bit, right, to make sure that we are being assertive and advocating for ourselves and advocating our own opinions and not letting being outnumbered in the room deter us from speaking. Yeah, I definitely think that it's a learned skill. I mean, when I was first sitting at a boardroom table, I was always hesitant to speak up. But eventually, it just just came to me. And I realized, you know what, if I want to get my point across, and I want to go and I want to make this like, I want to make a point in here. And I want to turn this meeting around, I need to speak up and I need to be assertive. And it's hard to do at first. I get it. It's intimidating. But you just need most of the time, they're going to respect your opinion anyways, or so I found, but you just need to go and you need to speak up and you need to be assertive. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I tend to I tend to pep talk myself sometimes when I find myself <laughs> in a situation where I want to say something or I have an idea, um, but I'm I'm intimidated. I'm scared to share it. Um, I usually try like give myself a little pep talk in my mind, like not nobody else's opinion necessarily is more valid than mine. Nobody else's idea is necessarily better than mine because it's coming from me doesn't mean it's of less value. Um, so I, I try and like give myself a little pep talk. Um, and in, in one-on-one situations, I find them I find it a lot easier when I'm being interrupted or talked over, which, which tends to happen a lot in my job when I'm dealing, especially with like senior executive 
males. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, yeah. I don't. <laughs> I, I understand often, that. Yeah, I don't think people often tell them, um, you know, hey, I'm I'm talking here. <laughs> um, <laughs> can you can you can you just be quiet for a minute? Um, I don't think they're used to hearing that, but I've become very comfortable with with politely like taking control of the conversation. Um, you know, just excuse me, but can I, I need to say something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely no need to be rude or anything, but you, no, need to, no. you need to go and you need to be assertive and you need to let your opinion be heard and let your, let what you're saying be known, I guess. Yes. Cause it yeah. is, it's just as valuable as what anybody else has to say. If you're all at the same table, you know, you're there for a reason. There's a um, common goal in mind. Yes. Yeah. So if you're all sitting at the same table, your ideas, your input is all equally valid. You're, you know, don't, um, don't get too much in your head, I guess, and, and start doubting yourself. It's easier to just say it. And even if you say something stupid, um, it's likely to be forgotten. I think a lot of times we, we overthink things and think that like the whole world puts so much importance on everything that we say or do when, when really um, people are barely paying attention, I think, a lot of the time. <laughs> You're not wrong there. Yeah. <laughs> I, say, I say stupid things all of the time in my job, and I get over it. <laughs> well, people just... You know what? You might, you might think it's stupid, but the other person might not necessarily think it's stupid. So this is, this is why we have open dialogues and open conversations. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, if you're going to get called into some of these meetings that are probably stupid to begin with, like a lot of meetings tend to be not all that productive, you may as well contribute, right? Or practice <laughs> contributing. All right. Yes. And um, all right, Melissa, we're going to turn this all over to you. So the whole month of October, I did a whole series on interviewing in the Kick Glass Career Women's Facebook group. Um it was really, it was really good. I had a lot to say about interviewing. Um, so go back and, and look at those videos. Um, but I figured I might coach people on how to interview, but I don't often actually interview people like you do. So I want to hear you're the best, the worst, the ugly, all of it. What do you <laughs> talk to us about interviewing, Melissa? Yeah, so I thought I would just cover um, my best interview experience and my worst interview experience. So we'll keep it short and sweet here. Um, but my best interview experience I ever had, now this might seem a bit odd, but um, it was the candidate who truly knew how to relate their volunteer experience to the job at hand. And I know that sounds odd, but I don't often have people who relate their volunteer experience into their job and for the job at hand that they're interviewing for. So this candidate, um, they were interviewing for an HR position, but they had purely an accounting-based background. Um, but they were in a position for two years, a volunteer coordinator position. And so with that, they were able to relate their personal relations skills through this experience. So in their role as a volunteer coordinator, um, it included a lot of interviewing, um, resume screening, background checking, scheduling for volunteers. And again, like she had two years of HR experience, even though it wasn't paid for. She was an accountant. She was an accountant, but she wanted to make a career change to HR. And she got that job because of her HR volunteer experience. So again, just because you develop skills and competencies through unpaid work, that doesn't mean that it doesn't count. So you need to make sure that you highlight those skills in an interview. 
I love that so much. I love I know, that right? so much. Yeah. And it's something people are just like, oh, should I really include my volunteer experience in my resume? Do recruiters really look at that? Yeah. You know what? We do. <laughs> we do. Someone, someone was able to get a career change because of a volunteer position that they had. Awesome. Yes. Yep. It's fi- definitely included if it's relevant to what you want to do. So that's awesome. Exactly. Good for, good for her. Okay. Yeah. It also shows that you're well-rounded as well. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. um, so my worst experience I ever had now, this is a doozy. Um, it was the candidate who couldn't answer questions about their work history. And it's because their mom wrote their resume <gasps> and she lied while she was at it. Oh my I'm God. I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. <laughs> um, so I actually oh. discovered... <laughs> I discovered this um, when I came up. I was probing um, during um, after I asked a technical question. I was probing about their work experience, and the candidate point blank stopped, and then came out and said, "I'm not sure what you're referring to. My mother wrote my resume for me." Now I'm I'm all for having somebody checking your resume and helping you write a resume and helping you create a resume. But there's a difference in saying my mother wrote my resume for me or I went to a resume writer. So then after a little more digging, I found out that mom did some serious embellishing on uh, this candidate's work experience. So it turns out he was a laborer, not a site services superintendent. There's a huge difference there. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm dying, Melissa. I'm dying. So I'm all I'm all about selling yourself. Trust me, I'm all about selling yourself. But you need to be sure you're being honest. And this includes you two parents. Please be honest when you're talking about your kids. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> it was a terrible, terrible experience. It was my like, yeah, it was the only time I didn't know what to do in an interview, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I couldn't just cut it. I could couldn't just cut it straight out there. I had to finish the interview, but it was painful, Tammy. It was painful. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so don't yes. lie. No, don't lie. never so lie. Never lie. Never lie. <laughs> oh. And go to a resume writer. Don't go. Don't go to your mother, please. No. Don't. <laughs> Unless your mother's a resume writer, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. But all in all, it's just important that you take the time to prepare for uh, any potential interview questions that you're going to have. Um, always have extra copies of your resume on hand. It's it's one of my pet peeves of mine when someone comes in and they don't have extra copies of their resume or their resume isn't up to date and they're mentioning new work experience in the interview. Just It's just common practice and it's a good practice to have when you're going into an interview. And overall, just remain professional throughout the entire recruitment interview process. So these are the things that will help you land your dream job all in all. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Melissa. I just, (laughs) your, your content is always both helpful and highly entertaining. Although I'm sure it's stressful (laughs) for you because it actually happens to you, but it's entertaining to hear about it. honestly never a dull moment in nature. (laughs) No, uh, clearly not. (laughs) Maybe I should make a career change. (laughs) You don't want to. (laughs) No. (laughs) Don't end up. Yeah, I kind of like what I do. (laughs) I think I'll stick with it. Oh my goodness. All right, well, thank you, Melissa. And thank you so much, listeners, for listening to us. Your support means the world to us. We love hearing from you. We really do. So please email us anytime at kickglasspodcast at gmail.com. That's K-I-C-K-G-L-A-S-S podcast 
at gmail.com. And you can also find us in the Kick Glass Career Women Facebook group. Uh, that's facebook.com slash groups slash kick glass. And on our next podcast, we're showcasing the best of the best from our 2018 episodes. We talk about the motherhood penalty and why the gender wage gap doesn't tell the story we think it does. And I have my best tips on how to properly communicate with your recruiter. And along with a couple funny stories with it. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Go kick some glass. 